0: Welcome to the Katka TV podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Dr. Kaz.
1: It's an honor. Thank you so much for having me.
0: going to be talking about hormones and toxins but before that could you tell us a little bit about yourself your credentials and why you want to get the message out about endocrine disruptors
1: sure so my story is i'm a functional medicine doctor i started as a regular family practice doctor and so i went to medical school i started residency got my md finished my residency training and as an intern in residency, I was introduced to the concept of functional medicine, and it was very different than what I was used to, what I was being taught, and I feel very lucky that I found it. The whole point of functional medicine is to look for the underlying cause of disease. So when someone comes to me with a thyroid issue or with dominance or with rheumatoid arthritis or diabetes or high blood pressure They're not coming to me to address the symptoms, they're coming to me to figure out why it happened. And that's the difference between functional medicine and family practice, how I was trained. So it's all about the root cause and the underlying um, issues. And in my training, there's five main areas we look in functional medicine and they are food, gut health, hormone imbalances, environmental toxins, and mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And in my first book last year, Unfunk Your Gut, I covered food, gut, and mental, emotional, and spiritual health. So then never thought I'd write a second book, but I got motivated one day and I was like, what else is there to write about? And there's two other areas that I work in that I I think are very important and most people can relate to issues, and hormones and toxins. And that's what this new book, Get the Funk Out, is about. There's a chapter on the thyroid, adrenal glands, the pancreas and insulin, testosterone and men, and then estrogen, progesterone, testosterone with women, so reproductive hormones. And then I get into what detox is, how it works, what toxins are. And then there's a chapter on each of the main toxins that I work with, which are heavy metals, mold. And then what I call the other stuff, which is the stuff that's in your bath and beauty products and your sunscreen or your lipstick or your mascara. There's the herbicides and pesticides that they spray our food with. So one of the main ones that I test people for is glyphosate. And then just what we're drinking, eating, what's what our furniture is covered in. So all the other stuff. And so for somebody that hasn't connected the two topics, they might be wondering why, like, why would you write a book about hormones and toxins together? Well, that's because hormone imbalances are pretty easy to diagnose through lab testing, but my patients always want me to take it a step further as to why. If I'm estrogen dominant, why? If my if I have Hashimoto's, why? And it is my belief and my experience my theory that the major contributing factor is our toxic environment so every year our environment becomes more and more toxic and we see this skyrocketing in all these rates of something like low testosterone estrogen dominance hashimoto's adrenal fatigue and i think part of the connection is the toxins and when we start absorbing toxins They get stored in our fat. All of the cells in your body are surrounded by fat. The cell membranes have fat in them. So toxins can get stored in any cell in your body. When I was first training in functional medicine, one of my mentors is Dr. Susan Blum, who wrote an excellent book on Hashimoto's and the functional medicine approach a number of years ago. And when I was training with her, she taught me, she's like, think of the thyroid as a sponge for toxins. All this stuff that we're absorbing from the outside environment, one of the favorite places that it likes to go is the thyroid. And so when it comes to something like Hashimoto's, which is the most common autoimmune disease, your regular doctor will tell you, I have no clue why it happened. It just does. It's very common. Hashimoto's is a disease where your immune system has identified your thyroid as an invader. So it's identified, your immune system should identify foreign substances, and attack them. And then it should leave your own organs and cells alone. Motos is your immune system wants to get rid of your thyroid. We can assume that we have no clue why that happens, but what if it is because you have lead built up in there or mercury or mold mycotoxins or glyphosate or a little bit of all of it. Toxins when we absorb them can cause cell death and they can damage the hormones. That's what I'm here to talk about. And it for me completes the functional medicine picture for people who have read my first book, who have followed me, that the there was still two topics that I had not covered. And so that's what I cover in this new
0: So when it comes to toxins that we encounter every day, what are some that maybe people don't know about that they'd never even thought about?
1: Yeah, so great question. And I think one that I've seen a number of times is flame retardants. And those are classified usually as organophosphates. Why would someone be excreting a bunch of flame retardants? They cover your furniture in flame retardants. So if your house is burning, that it doesn't burn too fast. Where are you spending all your time usually is sitting in a chair or a couch or in your bed. Uh, I, I cite some studies in the book that they something very popular now is memory foam mattresses. While well, multiple studies have shown that they found over 80 different chemicals and toxins in memory foam mattresses, so your furniture is a big one. Just your drinking water, the bottles that you drink from, whether you know your baby bottle or your plastic bottle that you get at the gas station. Um, The air that you breathe, lead, is in airplane exhaust. And so when you go outside and you're breathing in the air, you could be breathing in lead. Fish, large fish like tuna, are very high in mercury. So I go through an introduction in the book. I take my wife's routine, and that routine is just from the time she goes to bed to the time that she gets up, has breakfast, gets ready for the day, and then plays with our dogs. And I go through every toxin she's exposed to. So it's the mattress. If you have your wireless router too close to your bed, you, that there's EMFs that are being released. If you sleep with your phone, if you have your phone on top of you, there's, there's more EMFs from that. Making a smoothie for breakfast, the almond milk that you put in there, the bananas, the blueberries, the mangoes, the spinach, all of that has toxins in it. If you're using a protein powder, that those can often have a lot of toxins in it. So you literally can, throughout your daily entire routine, pretty much find toxins that we're being exposed to. But a major point that I want to make, and this is because the world of toxicity is very frowned upon by the traditional medical community. So they don't really believe in this concept of detox. And when I started in functional medicine, coming from my traditional background, it took me a few years before I got comfortable working with toxins. And I think we're just taught aggressively in medical school and residency, that's not really a thing that that people don't need to detox. We're taught to believe in like an acute toxicity, which means like, the kids in Flint, Michigan, when they changed their water supply and it was full of lead and they had acute or rapid neurologic symptoms. That's not what we're talking about in functional medicine. Um, The concept that we talk about is called total toxic body burden. And the best way I could describe that is, is that we're all born with a bucket and we fill that bucket with sugar and stress and inflammatory foods and fried foods and dysbiosis, lead, mercury, glyphosate, mold, all this stuff accumulates, and eventually that bucket overflows into disease. And so that's what the total—the concept of the total toxic body burden means, is it's the accumulation of all these different things. Because I'm not saying that just lead causes high blood pressure, or glyphosate causes autism, or any of that. I'm not saying that. My argument is that the accumulation of all of these things together is then when the body gets inflamed and it could present as disease. So it's not just one of these toxins, but it's all of these toxins combined with not sleeping enough, not eating healthy foods, not exercising, not sweating, not moving your bowels every day. So All of these things contribute to disease. And that's what uh, an important point that I want to make, because if you go to your regular doctor and you say, hey, like I want to test for heavy metals or mold, they're going to look at you like you're nuts and definitely don't say I have lead poisoning. That's not what we're talking about. That's again, like somebody that's acutely exposed. What we're talking about is total body burden, which is a lifetime accumulation of this stuff which actually starts before we're even born. So we start accumulating, we start putting things in our bucket when we're in utero. If mom hasn't detoxed before pregnancy and she has toxins, they can cross the placenta. So we can be born with a baseline of toxins and then we enter this toxic world. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about and just an important point that I wanna clarify in case anybody goes to their regular doctor and tries to bring this up.
0: Yeah, definitely. I also heard that recently that our clothing is full of toxins as well, especially gym clothing. Everything is now being made with plastic. When I was younger, all underwear was made out of cotton. Now it's made out of plastic, which is mind-boggling to me because that's not supposed to happen. And it's causing things like fabric-causing insomnia, fabric-causing hormone problems. That's crazy. But when I tell people be careful about the fabrics. They're like, that's impossible. How's it going to get into me? So is it transdermal?
1: Yeah, we can definitely absorb these toxins. And, And that's an amazing point. It's not, I don't even think it's one that I brought up in the book. And that's how how deep this can get and how we're literally being exposed by what we're wearing. And an interesting thing is with glyphosate specifically in cotton. So glyphosate is the main component of Roundup, which is a weed killer, pretty famous in the news. They settled the largest lawsuit in the history of America a couple of years ago against Monsanto who makes glyphosate. But so most people would be familiar with it as Roundup, but so typically we get, glyphosate from our food. We're eating it. Well, one of the top sprayed crops in America with glyphosate and Roundup is cotton. So I've tested a number of patients over the years that are very cognizant of eating organic and they've been cleaning up their diet and they still have glyphosate in their urine and they're still excreting it. And so then one of the ways that they're like, where is this coming from? And so that is actually something that I recommend. I'm like, you might want to look into your clothing. And I remember the first time I saw organic cotton t-shirt, I thought it was just like a scam. I was like, this is just another way to raise the price on a t-shirt, but it's real. We can absorb. So these toxins that we're talking about, like plastics or the lead or the mercury or whatever, they try to get into our body in three different ways, mainly, and it's through our skin so we can absorb this stuff. And that's a lot of the personal care products or clothing, like you mentioned. So they try to get in through the skin, they try to get in through the lungs, so we try to we can breathe them in, and then they get in through our gut. And that concept of leaky gut that most people have heard about, when your gut is not being a strong barrier. So the main barriers you have against this stuff is your skin, your lungs, and your gut. If your gut's not healthy, then all this stuff that you're eating can get in. Your skin can let that in. And once those toxins cross through the lungs, through the gut, through the skin, they will get stored in the fat, like I mentioned earlier. And that literally could be anywhere in your body. Lucky for us, the first place That our body sends those toxins is to your liver. And most people, when they hear detox, they think of your liver as your detox organ. And that's true. That is your main detox organ. What the liver does is take these toxins that are fat soluble and convert them to make them water soluble. And then we excrete them. We pee them out, we poop them out, and we sweat them out. So that's what detox in the liver is breaking down these toxins that are fat soluble and making them water soluble so you can then get rid of it. That whole process in the liver is totally dependent on your nutrition. So you need different vitamins and minerals in order for the liver to work properly. I go through in the chapter on detox in the book all about what nutrients you need for each process, what foods you could find those nutrients in, And so that is how this stuff is getting in. And that's how we're getting rid of it. Our body's ability to detox is limited. We can only detox a certain number of things a day. So let's say my capacity is 100. I can get rid of 100 toxins in a day. In an average day, I'm exposed to 50. I'm fine. But then let's say on the weekend, I'm binge drinking. I'm and I'm living in a place that has mold. And so now I'm exposed to a 1,000 toxins. My body can only get rid of a 100. So 900 are going to then look around for places to hang out. And so they will get stored in your hormone glands, like your ovaries, like your testes, like your thyroid, like your adrenal
0: glands. Yeah, so I have a lot of these hormone problems. I have estrogen dominance because I have high testosterone. I have... Um what else? I don't have Hashimoto's. Thank God. One thing I don't have. (laughs) And um, yeah, so I have been trying to detox gut health and then the liver is what I just, I started it, but it's like very hard because I have a lot of reactions. So, So like I'll get migraines and I'll get dizzy and then I can't do anything the whole day. So I have to like take off. Yeah. And it's like a month-long detox, and I wasn't able to finish it. So I'm just going to go back on it little by little. But they did tell me, I talked to one of the trainers of functional medicine that has the cleanse. I think he's from Quicksilver or something. And he told me that I should take a lot of CBD while I'm taking it just to like deal with the, the reaction that I'm oh, having. So I thought that was interesting because when I did take it, it was much better. So oh, when wow. I when I do the cleanse again, I'm going to start with that so I can get through it this time. So when you are detoxing and some people feel really terrible, because let's say they have never detoxed before, because this is not something our doctors tell us to do, even though we're exposed to all these things. What is the order of the detox that you do? Do you do the gut first? Do you want to do the liver first? Which one? And what are some tips that we can do like in our daily life to detox better?
1: So my approach is definitely a little bit different in regards to I don't detox anyone without testing what toxins they have in their body. And so I use pre and post chelation testing for heavy metals, which I explained thoroughly in the book, I test mold mycotoxins in the urine, if somebody has had exposure to a water damaged building, I test glyphosate in the urine. And I also test kind of all those other ones that I've mentioned, like the flame retardants, like the chemicals from dry cleaning, like the plastics. I would personally never detox someone without knowing exactly what we're detoxing because The approach to detoxing heavy metals is very different than the approach to detoxing mold that is different to detoxing glyphosate that is different to detoxing some of these other chemicals that we've mentioned. So I really prefer to rely on testing and I really get into in each chapter about what tests I use specifically for the different toxins. But for somebody that doesn't have access to a physician that can order those labs, because unfortunately, Again, you can't go to your primary doctor and be like, hey, can we do a mold mycotoxin test? They're not going to know how to order it, what to do with it. So you do need to find someone that is ideally certified in functional medicine. And I recommend using ifm.org, which is the Institute of Functional Medicine. You can search for a practitioner on there. You can narrow down the search to find people that are certified. So those are people that have taken all the courses and passed the certification exams. My advice, if you can, is find someone who can test what toxins you actually have in your body. Me personally, if I could order one functional medicine test for anybody that I didn't know anything about, I would start with heavy metals. That's how common heavy metals are, is that we're the majority, overwhelming majority of my patients are testing positive for heavy metals. And there's nothing in your history that I need to hear that tells me, okay, yes, we definitely need to test you for heavy metals. One profession that I will always test is in mechanics or people working with like the highest levels of lead I've ever seen was a mechanic at O'Hare Airport. And so mechanics is somebody that I would always test for heavy metal, but in general, I would test anybody. The same goes for glyphosate because like I said, I'm seeing more and more now patients that have been eating organic for years and they're still testing positive for glyphosate. So those are two that I would wanna hear that I don't need to hear anything in the history. Mold is something that I would only test if there's been a known history of exposure to a water damaged building. So I learned very quickly with working with mold that the wrong question to ask is, have you been exposed to mold? The right question is, have you ever lived in a building which had water damage or worked in? Because most people that have been exposed to mold have no idea. And another story that I wanted to share is I had this in regards to heavy metals and testing everybody. So I had this couple, they were in their 60s, and they both wanted to test for heavy metals and they tested at the same time. And she had grown up here in Chicago, which is where I practice primarily. And he had her husband had grown up in Nigeria. And the three of us when we ordered the testing all thought that he would come back with higher levels because there's not like the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency there. And it's in theory, you would think a more toxic environment. He came back grow, growing up in Nigeria, tested totally negative for heavy metals. And his wife came back through the roof with lead and mercury growing up in Chicago. So that's it's they're so prevalent. And I would say the worst thing about toxins, any of these ones that I'm mentioning, is we don't get symptoms. So when you're eating fish and it's full of mercury, your body's, you're not getting like a stomach ache or you're not getting a headache or you're not breaking out in a rash. These things are silently being absorbed. And so there's not really symptoms. And usually what happens is that it presents when it's too late. So it's, I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's and like, why? Or my hormone, my estrogen is imbalanced or my progesterone, my testosterone, why? And it's already too late at that point. So my hope and goal for in the world is that we start this toxin testing in kids that are three or five years old, because the first question when somebody tests positive for for a toxin is when did it get here. Most of the time I can't tell you um, when it got there because we have no baseline. We have no baseline testing all we have is right now what's going on. So that's just a little bit different approach. And you mentioned, do you start with the gut or do you start with detox? For me, it, it comes down to the person's history. If if I'm suspecting that there's gut imbalances like SIBO, like candida, like dysbiosis, like leaky gut, and if they're having a lot of gut symptoms, then I will test them. I'll test their gut, sometimes People want to order all of it at once. So we can order gut testing and we can order toxin testing all at once and then see what's the worst. Because one of the ways that we detox is through the gut. You typically want to have a healthy gut going into a detox. So I could definitely make the argument that we should start with the gut but like later today, I'm seeing someone who came to me with an autoimmune disease and he had a lot of gut symptoms. And so I told him, I am, and also in his history, I forget what it was, but there was something I was like, I really think you should test for toxins. And while we also test your gut. And so today later we're meeting for his results and his gut testing came back pretty normal, but he's full of lead, mercury, and mold. And Something I've seen over the years, most people, since my first book was on gut health, that's a lot of what I see is people come to me with gut issues, but I've had patients over the years where we're treating the gut and they get better and then they get worse and they get better and they get worse. And the whole, and then we end up testing them for toxins. And the whole time it was a mold issue or a heavy metal issue. For me, I think all of these things should be tested, but when I'm making a decision, usually I'm making a decision. Do we start with toxins or do we start with the gut? And that, so then that is where the person's story will play the fact, the main factor in me. is there an exposure history? Is there a lot of gut symptoms? And then we make a decision together, but I can make an argument either way that either one should be started with. And so I think both are equally important and we make a decision based on the person and where they're at and how they want to go about it.
0: So- One thing that I heard was, and I want your take on this, was that wheat, rye, chocolate, coffee, and soy in the U.S., because they allow it to be stored in a way that it accumulates a lot of fungus and mold, and that's not allowed anywhere else in the world, and we get all the unwanted stuff from the world, that's why a lot of people, when they go to Europe, they feel better. What do you think about that?
1: It's definitely possible. There's no question. And it's funny that when I'm testing some, it's not funny, but when, on your point, when I'm testing somebody for mold, I actually tell them to avoid a lot of those foods that you mentioned for a week before the test, because what I'm really worried about is the airborne exposure. And we can get false positives from food. So if you drank coffee like the night before, or ate a bunch of moldy grains, your mold levels the next morning can be really high. And to me, that would look like an airborne exposure, but it's just actually something that you're eating. And so I've also heard that from my patients. I go to Europe and I can eat whatever I want. I can eat all the gluten I want and I'm totally fine. And most people think of it because there's the sensitivity and the genetic modification. But that's another amazing point that is also the storage of the food and the accumulation of mold. Um, Something that I'm a dog person. I always had dogs. I love dogs. And one of the the last conference that I was at, actually, and it was before the pandemic started, it was a whole conference that was an entire day was just about mold. And so there was doctors from all over the country talking about mold. And one of them mentioned one, a major source of mold for dogs is their food. And so my dogs had grown up eating just regular dog food and regular dog food is full of mycotoxins. So I started cooking for my dogs and I told my parents to do the same. And my parents had dogs that, had a lot of skin issues, eczema, basically treated it for years with allergy medications and steroids and antibiotics and all this stuff. And so when I got my parents to stop feeding them the dog's dog food and started cooking for them, the skin issues completely resolved within a matter of like weeks. And this is after years of having them. That's my own little story, just because I really love dogs. But it's a fantastic point that that our food is actually really moldy and it. One of the moldiest foods, which I really enjoy is coffee. So there's a lot of companies that are adver- advertising like organic coffee. I haven't done the testing, but in theory, coffee's already moldy. And the only reason the mold's gone is because they spray it with chemicals to get rid of the mold. Well, organic coffee is not going to be sprayed with those chemicals so organic coffee could actually potentially be even moldier than non-organic coffee but then the non-organic is full of chemicals so it's like when again when you go down these rabbit holes of these toxins you can really go crazy just wow i can't get away from this stuff so actually one question that you asked that i didn't answer like what else can people do you know that just to to help support detox it's the most basic stuff. It is getting enough sleep. Sleep is when your liver is restoring your immune system is restoring all day long. It's there. We're under this attack from all these different angles. So sleep is when we restore. And if you're not sleeping well, you're going to be inhibiting your detox. So getting sleep. And then the, the basics, which is drinking enough water again, Detox is making toxins water soluble. So the way we're getting rid of them, one of them is in the urine. So you need to drink enough water, which my advice is typically half your body weight in ounces. So if you're 160 pounds, it's 80 ounces of water a day. Most people aren't drinking enough water. And then a major one, which gets to where do you start is your gut health.
0: I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahoum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Mecca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to Feminescence.com, enter code Cat 15, kat A T15 for 15% off any of their single pack products. And definitely go check out the episode. Just search for Mona Fahoum on my podcast and listen, you won't regret it.
1: If I've got somebody that's dealing with serious constipation, like they're only moving their bowels once or twice or three times a week, I'm not going to start with detox because we're going to be just reabsorbing toxins. So the liver is making these toxins water soluble. One, another way we're getting rid of them is in the stool. And so if that stool is backed up for three days at a time and it's full of toxins, as it's sitting there, those toxins can then break off and then get reabsorbed back into your body. So that's a, an important one is I wouldn't start a detox if you're not moving your bowels or pooping every day. Um, And one of my colleagues, Dr. Terry Walls, says you should poop a snake every day. And then the third one is exercise, because a third way that we're getting rid of these toxins, once they've been broken down, is through the sweat. So exercising, drinking enough water, moving your bowels every day, and sleeping are four really important things that we can overlook and we can jump straight to detox supplements and all this stuff when you can really just focus on the basics at least. And then overwhelmingly, the number one step in any detox is to stop exposure. And if you are living in a moldy place, and we're trying to detox you from mold, we're never going to get anywhere because you just keep reabsorbing it. Being exposure. If I have somebody that tests positive for lead or mercury, or yes, the other day I had someone test positive for tin. She lives in a house that has private wells. So we're testing her well water. Um, People eating too much sushi too frequently, too many big fish. We're going to stop that. So stopping exposure doesn't matter what toxin we're talking about is always the first step.
0: That's, A good point because yeah, I do know someone that had exposure to mold and then they did a detox and they didn't get better. And then they found the new place at mold.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you gotta, yeah. If you're dealing with that, if you're dealing with the mold toxicity, I tell my patients to definitely test where they're moving for mycotoxins.
0: So are there any, maybe apps that you use or tools that you use to help find safer products?
1: EWG.org, the Environmental Working Group. Most people have heard of like the Dirty Dozen, which are like the 12 fruits and vegetables that have the most herbicides, pesticides on them. And that list is updated every year. Most people don't know that that list is coming from EWG, the Environmental Working Group. So it's a nonprofit that is free. Their resources are incredible. You can go on their website type in your sunscreen, your deodorant, your cleaning products, and you can get a toxicity rating one to 10 of how toxic what you're using is. And so that's an amazing free resource that people can pick up or just go online and start researching, start changing things. Even like your laundry detergent is something that you can look at. So I, I personally love EWG.
0: Yeah, I did go through the the skincare detoxing route. So I've done that a couple years ago. Then I did the makeup. All my makeup is like super natural. It's from like 100%pure.com, which is like the most basic type of ingredients. Nothing bad there. It does not work the same, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've got to give up some stuff <laughs> if you don't want to reintroduce toxins. But Damn. I grew up on Bath and Body Works spraying all those chemicals all over yourself and they were putting DEET on us when we went outside in the mosquitoes and all of that
1: yeah yeah and it's like you you just people that haven't been exposed to this don't think about it like bath and beauty works is just like the store to go to like in this all these products are promoted and especially by celebrities so it's oh i gotta get that new brand of whatever and it's like the the craziest thing in doing the research for my book was about like the bath and beauty products is that like with makeup products the the FDA has basically told the companies to regulate themselves to that we trust you you guys just make sure that you put clean products in there and we trust you guys that doesn't end well and in like Europe they do uh, frequently these companies there some chemical in their product will get banned there so then they have to get rid of it here but. We don't in America check on it. So it's like you're trusting these companies. At the end of the day, it's just about their profits. And I don't think they really care because if they find a toxic chemical, then they'll just replace it with a different one that the research isn't out on yet.
0: Yeah. I've seen that all the time. We'll have different products, the same company, same brand, same everything in Europe. It's completely different ingredients here, yeah. completely different ingredients. Same with food. Yeah. Everything is different. I have a friend in Italy. So I'm like, get the same brand, get the same, this and show me the ingredients. And I show mine, mine are like pages and pages. His is just like organic, this organic. This, and that's the cheapest one in the store. Yeah. And we're paying, I don't know, four or five times as much for something that's organic and safer. And it still has garbage in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it just sucks that that's the, our environment because people are trying, people spend the extra money and they're trying to clean up their environment. They're learning, they're getting sick. So then they're learning about, Hey, maybe I need to clean this up and they're trying. And then they're, we're still getting screwed over by the companies that are selling
0: this. What about saunas for detoxing? What do you think about those?
1: Love it. So that infrared sauna specifically is the primary tool that I recommend for a mold detox, because there's a two, there's two different ways that it works. There's the infrared waves that kind of help kill off some of the mycotoxins in your body. And there's also the sweating, which is helping release them. So I love infrared sauna. Um, I focus on it mostly with mold because I worked with an environmental medicine doctor, Dr. Naj and Martha's Vineyard where we were doing urine samples before and after sauna mycotoxins. And after sauna, we were seeing like a much higher excretion of mold toxins from doing the sauna. So I love infrared sauna for mold. I had, I typically personally use chelation therapy for heavy metals. I had a patient that didn't want to do that. She didn't want to do supplements. She's I'm going to just do sauna for a year and then we're going to retest and her lead level. So a normal lead level is less than one. Her level was in the thirties. And in a year of just doing sauna every day, pretty much she got her level down to 15, which is a huge decrease without the use of any kind of medication or supplements. So that was one that I was like, I was even shocked. I was like, I can't believe how far this came down with just doing sauna and specifically the infrared. With sauna, you have to like, you have to be careful because a little bit different, but like my favorite room in my gym was the steam room. And I, my gym was in downtown Chicago and I loved it. Every day after either work doing weights or playing basketball, which are my favorite things, I would sit in the steam room. And then one day I was sitting there and I was thinking about it and I was like, they're using the Chicago city water to make this steam. (laughs) So I'm like literally sitting here, breathing in like pharmaceutical products and lead and mercury and all these herbs, all this stuff is in the city water. So I'm just like, I never used it again and it was literally like my favorite room. And then also with the wood saunas, you have to be careful if they're putting a bunch of weird chemicals on the wood, like you can be breathing that in. So again, these like things that we are doing that are like healthy, we're still getting stuck. So that my personal advice is the infrared sauna for detox specifically is a fantastic tool. I love it.
0: Yeah, I do the infrared sauna about two, three times a week if I can, at least once a week. But when I tested for heavy metals, I was really good. I didn't have anything, um, which is weird because like everything else is messed up, but that was good. And and I didn't have mold, which was like really great because I live in Florida and everybody has mold problems here, (laughs) but I still have like really high estrogen. So do you have any tips for lowering and detoxing estrogen? Because I keep thinking like, I got to be exposing myself and I keep looking into this and this, and there's always more ways you can be exposed. What kind of
1: testing did you do for heavy?
0: I don't remember. It was like a year or two ago. My, my husband did it. He does functional medicine. So I don't remember if it was like a hair or some blood work. I don't know.
1: So I, because a lot of practitioners, we all have different ways of doing things. My Preferred route overwhelmingly for heavy metal testing is using the pre and post-chelation testing. And so what that means is it's a urine sample. Okay. Yeah. Hair testing to me, a lot of practitioners use it. I don't find it very helpful because it could it it can just be skewed if your hair is growing fast, what you're putting on your hair. So I really like the using a chelating medicine to, to see how much is built up in your body. So a chelating medicine is something that pulls out what is stored in your body and specifically with the heavy metals. So we give you, and the most common medications are DMSA, DMPS, and EDTA. Those are the three that most people have heard of. I've personally always used DMSA. So this is a medication that you need a prescription for. You get it from a compounding pharmacy we use a dose of 30 milligrams per kilogram. And so we give you this medication, you take it one time, and then you get this big orange jug and you collect urine for six hours after taking this medicine. And what that DMSA is doing is pulling what's stored in your body out and we're catching it in this jug. And then you shake up this jug at the end of six hours, you put in a little vial and send it to the lab because a hair test is or a blood test are not going to be a good representation of how much is built up. These once these metals get stuck in your bones and your tissues, they don't like to come out. And but those that the use of that medication is super strong and if you haven't done post chelation testing, I would highly recommend it. And I wouldn't be sure that you don't have a heavy metal problem until you actually do a post chelation test. So that's something that i would look at i would imagine have you looked at like the urinary breakdown of your estrogens like you can break down your estrogen into how you're metabolizing it yes two hydroxy four hydroxy and 16 hydroxy wish
0: i remember which one but i know i did the dutch test the cycle long one i did it multiple times
1: yeah So you can look at how you're detoxing the estrogen if it's high. There's the basics of looking at diet, which I assume you have, looking at gut health. um, I would look at the adrenal glands and because sometimes if the cortisol is out of whack, then you can't get your estrogen under control. So I would look at that. SIBO, candida, dysbiosis, I would look at that. And then if you hadn't, I would look at glyphosate levels in the urine, and then I would do testing for the other toxins to see what else could be underlying. That would be some of the stuff that I would do.
0: Yes, I do need to do a lot more testing. I know I need to do more testing.
1: I'm personally all about the testing. I feel like just being a physician, I have the unfair advantage of having access to all these tests. So, I, but that's why people come to me is, hey, get this testing done for me and then tell me what to do. And then we repeat the testing to make sure that these toxins have been excreted or that we've gotten rid of.
0: Them. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Let's see. Are there any things like maybe like hormonal balances or like toxins that we should maybe look into? As we age,
1: the main ones, like I said, that I work with are your thyroid, your adrenal glands, your insulin. And then like your, for women, estradiol and progesterone and testosterone and for men, testosterone. To me, usually I would not just test anybody. If you come in and you're like, I feel wonderful. Like I'm, and I'm exercising and I'm sleeping and everything's good. I'd be like, okay, let's, we don't need to test you. But if fatigue, chronic fatigue, if you're having like an afternoon crash, if your skin is too dry, if your hair is not, if your hair is drying or thin, et cetera, your cycle is out of whack. If you're presenting with endometriosis or polycystic ovaries, if you come in and admit that your diet is not up to par, or you know, that you are eating a lot of sugar, then we want to look at insulin. Adrenal glands is my favorite one. That's the one that my patients hate because my, my thing that I preach the most, anybody that read my first book is mental, emotional, spiritual health is the major root cause that most people are missing. And so I call adrenal gland testing, like my stress test. If you go to your regular doctor and ask for a stress test, they're going to test your heart. It's usually a cardiac stress test. I like to test how stressed out people are through their cortisol, through saliva testing. So that's one that I personally would do for, it doesn't actually mean for a teenager or someone that's elderly with, for men specifically, like myself, I was diagnosed with low testosterone at 32. And I get into that whole story. Um, I was shocked and offended, honestly, when the doctor suggested she's you should test your testosterone. And I was like, mad. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm 32. Get out of here. And then I saw my testosterone level was like 200. And then all of a sudden, like the last 10 years of my life had made sense. And I think it started early. So I, for I it's crazy. Like you, we were taught in regular medicine, like at the age of like over 40, you start testing. I think you can start testing men at 30 or even younger for low T. And it's extremely common with most women that, pre-menopausal women, I would test for estrogen dominance. Usually there's some symptoms, but in general, I really want to hear symptoms related like fatigue that as a reason of which hormones to test and why. And I think something really interesting is you can go online and start putting in your symptoms and everything pops up as like low thyroid, right? And so people come in and they're like, I have low thyroid. And then we test and it's not. And it's actually estrogen dominance or it's low testosterone or it's an imbalanced adrenal gland so a lot of the symptoms of these hormonal imbalances can overlap and so you can be really convinced that it's a low thyroid but it's actually an adrenal gland issue the whole time so if i am going down that route if i'm thinking like wow this person might have a hormonal issue then i'm probably going to want to test all of it i'm going to want to test your thyroid i'm going to test your reproductive hormones i'm going to test your adrenals your insulin. And because I can be really convinced that it's this specific hormone, but then it turns out to be something totally.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned cortisol. Um, What are some ways that people can lower their cortisol?
1: (laughs) If I had the answer to that, I'd be really famous and really have the world at my hands. But it's very difficult. As someone like me personally, I'm in recovery. I had an alcohol issue. And it's something that I've learned over the years. It's something that I have to work on every day. And so what works for me is meditation, is prayer. I go to meetings like AA meetings. I go to therapy. I've recommended every patient I've ever met to work with a therapist while they're working with me. An awesome tool that I I discuss in the book is HRV, heart rate variability, which is you can go and buy a sensor that you can connect to your computer or to your phone and you attach it to your ear or your finger and it measures the variations in your heart and if they're not if there's not good variation some of these apps will actually teach you how to breathe and how to like calm down and get into that parasympathetic response. There's so many different types of therapy so it's which one do I start with For me, I did CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Most of my patients have some kind of trauma in their lives. And my definition of trauma is anything less than nurturing. So most people think of trauma as like violence or something like that. Trauma could be as simple as your parents not paying enough attention to you as a kid, in which case I really like EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization. And it's actually a way that therapists, they can get you to move your eyes around to get into your neuronal networks to heal trauma. I personally, when I heard about it, it was from one of my patients that she was a practitioner of it. I thought it was nuts and it, but I've been sending people to her for eight years and my patients that are doing the best are doing EMDR therapy regularly. So That part is difficult because it looks different for all of us. And it's looked different for me at different points in my life. There's times where I'm doing more therapy, where I'm doing more meetings, where a huge one for me personally is exercise. I I grew up in Chicago in the 90s, so I play basketball. I thought I was going to be Michael Jordan. I'm not, but I still love to play basketball. If I get an injury and I haven't worked out for a few days, my mental health falls apart. And so I need, and even if it is, if I am like doing injured or something's happening where I can't size the way I want to just walking, like I I like to take a couple breaks during the day and just go for a walk around the office or around my house just to get the fresh air and move a little bit. I, one thing I hate in our alternative medicine world is there are a lot of practitioners that are diagnosing people with adrenal fatigue and then prescribing like a thousand dollars worth of supplements a month. Or ten different supplements a month, and that's not root cause medicine, in my opinion. That is putting a band aid. That it, you might as well be taking a medication in that situation. So for me, it really involves the digging, which for me has taken many years to dig into. I'm an my parents are from Poland. I'm a first generation American, so. I personally have a lot of trauma around being like different than my American friends and growing up different. And I had to really dig into that. And so there's a few supplements that I like, like adaptogens like something like ashwagandha or L-theanine, which are herbs or roots that help lower cortisol, but relying on a supplement, taking it at night to, to fix my adrenal glands is might help a little bit, but that's not really getting at the root. I think it really involves, um, working with professionals that are trained. I'm not a mental health professional besides like my own life story. Like I I've been through a lot. And so I can sit across the desk from my patients and understand why it's so difficult because that is the thing where my patients are like, you know what, just tell me what supplements to take. Tell me what diet to follow and everything will get better. When I first went to my first group therapy session when I was getting sober, I literally was stomping my feet in front of my therapist like a little kid. And I was in my late 20s and just not wanting to deal with that stuff. So for me, it really my advice if somebody's trying to work with their adrenal glands is really to do the digging and It's a good and a bad thing, but in my opinion, it's a lifelong process. And it's a, for me, it's a minute to minute, second to second, day to day process. And that was very difficult for me to experience because I am a checklist person. I make goals, I write them down and then I cross them off, write a book, write a second book, start a practice, do this and, and that's worked very well in my life is like making lists and working towards. I did that with my recovery. Like they told me to get sober and I was like, all right, go to AA, do all this stuff. And I did all of it, go to therapy and I was very successful. And then I crossed it off. I was like, all right, I'm good here. And it didn't take long for all of that stuff to just go away. And I just went right back to like my old way of thinking. So I, I, the hard way have learned that this is for me, at least personally. And I think most of us, it is a lifelong process that we need to work on every day.
0: Good point. So tell us about your book and where everyone can get it and where can listeners learn more.
1: Yeah. So my website is the best way to get a hold of me, it is doc-cause.com, D-O-C-K-O-Z.com. And on my website, there's links to getting both books on Amazon, but they're available on Barnes and Noble. Your local bookstore is not going to have them in store most likely, but they can order them and get them within a couple days. The biggest thing, if someone's just looking for my books, so they are unfunk your gut and get the funk out. Funk is spelled with a C in both books. And that is because at my practice, we used to have t-shirts that said, we put the funk in functional medicine. So that's where the funk comes from, but it's spelled with this. I am on social media. I am, as someone said the other day, I'm lame at social media. I'm not very good at it, but I'm on Instagram as doc underscore cause. And then my name, Peter Kozlowski, MD on Facebook. So I do post links to media that I do and other things. If I'm doing a lecture or talk somewhere or something, those are great ways to get a hold of me. If someone can't, doesn't have access to a functional medicine doctor. I personally put my life's work into these books. I, when I got very lucky, when I started in functional medicine, I got to train at Dr. Mark Hyman's clinic in Lenox, Massachusetts with Susan Blum, with Deepak Chopra. So I had these really awesome influences to start and I've been going on nine years now in solo practice, worked with everything from babies to elderly, with everything from autism to dementia and everything in between. And so my books are my approach and it's different. Every functional medicine practitioner has their own little style. So I know my way is not the only way, but it's what I've had success with. So there's a gut health book, which will help with diet. And then there's this new one, which has all about hormones and toxins. So first half, each chapter is about a different hormone. Second half is about what detox is and then each different toxin that I work with and how to test them, how to detox them, what nutrients, what medications, what tools I use to help someone detox.
0: I'm going to put all those links in the show notes for everyone to check out. And is there anything else you'd like to leave the audience with before we go?
1: No, just thank you for listening. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and I'm very grateful.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you made it this far, I'm sure you found some benefit to the hard work that I put into the show. Show your support by subscribing to the podcast. Leave me a voicemail question or email me at thehealthfulgypsy at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Be sure to join the Facebook group. You can find all that information in the show notes and my website, catkatibi.com. This podcast is for informational, merry and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard opinions of guests are totally their own this podcast does not endorse statements made by guests this podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests' qualifications credibilities, or sanity individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast if you think you have a medical problem consult with a licensed medical physician not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca